Thank you. Well, we're going to be considering um, some of those verses from Colossians this evening. And the topic I want to address you on this evening is the topic of thankfulness. I want to talk about what it means as Christians to be thankful. Now, I don't presume to speak for everybody uh, when I say this, but I wonder if your experience of being thankful is anything like mine. If we're honest, sometimes my thankfulness can be reduced to maybe a quick prayer said before each meal. And then in the rest of my prayers, my thankfulness is narrowed right down to being just the words that I use to kind of get my lips going. Uh, and, and if I'm thankful in my prayers, often it's for the same kinds of things, very generic things, things that I've given thanks for thousands of times before. Uh, I'm thankful for God's word. I'm thankful that we can meet together. I'm thankful for the love of Christ. These are all genuine things that we ought to be thankful for. But if this is the extent of my thankfulness, then my thankfulness is somewhat lacking as a Christian. We really have so much more to be thankful for. And if we look at these verses from Colossians 2, and I'm going to focus on really verse 6 and 7, which are actually just one sentence. Paul says, So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. If my thankfulness is just a a, a quick sentence rattled off before a meal and a few words to get my lips moving during the rest of my prayers, then I can hardly describe myself as being overflowing with thankfulness. Strong faith should be so much more thankful. Uh, Thankfulness is is intimately tied to strong faith. And although I wouldn't say that that faith can be reduced to thankfulness, you know, just being thankful isn't necessarily having faith in Christ. Yet, if we have faith in Christ, that faith in Christ is, is at risk of falling apart unless that thankfulness is there alongside it. Strong faith is evidenced by the thankfulness that goes with it. It's a bit like the the mortar, you might say, that holds up the bricks of a building. Uh, It's not you you don't build a building out of mortar. You build a building out of bricks. But to keep the bricks in line, to keep them strong, to keep them working together, the mortar sits between them to enable each of the bricks to do their job. In the same way, our faith in Jesus Christ isn't just a case of being thankful. Our our faith in Jesus Christ concerns who he is and what he came to do and his death on the cross and his resurrection and the hope we have for the future. But unless those truths are melded together with a heart full of thankfulness, a heart overflowing with thankfulness, then all those building blocks of our faith are at risk of falling apart. And so I want to try and dig into what Paul is getting at when he's when he's telling the Colossians, when he's telling us that our faith ought to be overflowing with thankfulness. What are we to be thankful for? And the first part of my sermon, I want to I want to just try and give you many reasons to be thankful. I think what Paul has in mind primarily here is that they are thankful for their salvation, that they are thankful for their salvation. You can see that just in the way he writes the sentence, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord. That's the essence of their faith. Receive Christ Jesus as Lord. 
then continue to live in him, overflowing with thankfulness. It would make sense that the thankfulness that flows out of their faith is is thankfulness for the things that their faith is based on. And not only looking at those verses, but also if you look at the, the sweep of Colossians as a whole, you can see that it seems that Paul is trying to make the Colossians jealous, really, of Jesus in the sense that they were being attacked by uh, maybe maybe false doctrines or heresies or other worldly philosophies that were coming in. Um, look at chapter two, verse eight, for example, see that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends upon human tradition and the basic principles of this world. So that's the threat that they're under. And one of the ways that Paul counteracts that threat in the letter to the Colossians is by just reminding them of the goodness of the gospel and the worth of Jesus Christ and the fullness that they have in Jesus compared to the emptiness of these philosophies. He wants to focus their minds so clearly on who Jesus is that they can't help but be thankful and praise him for what he's done. And so you'll see that right at the start of the letter, Colossians chapter one, verse three, Paul even starts by thanking God for the Colossians. Uh, this in itself is a, a, a prompter for them to be thankful. But what what is it that Paul's thankful for? He's thankful for verse five, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you. Sometimes as Christians, we can have our eyes so fixed on the here and now so fixed on the pressures and the distractions and the 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 struggles that we that we have to go through just to get through each day that we can lose our gaze on the hope that we have and paul reminds the colossians he says look the thing i'm thankful for is that god has given you hope that hope you also ought to be thankful for i think he implies here And that hope, if you have your eyes fixed on that hope, if you remind yourself of the hope that this earth is not your goal, that you are working for something more, that you have the promise of rest and freedom and liberty to come. then that will spur you on. Indeed, it has already spurred you on to faith and love and good works. When we remember the promises we have in the gospel, we have so much to be thankful for that we're not left to to struggle through this life at finding purpose out of the mess that we're in. We have a greater hope coming. Paul reminds them as well of the people who've shared this gospel message with them. He reminds them of Epaphras in verse seven. You learned it from Epaphras. Don't forget that you've been taught this by, by faithful people who've come and preached it to you. Think about the people in your life who has shared this gospel message with you. Who were those people who first shared it with you? Who are the people who continue to share it with you? Don't you see how important those people are to your ongoing faith? Can't you be thankful for the way that they seem to just always have the right word, an encouraging comment, a a warm embrace, a, a, a friendly rapport? that encourages you and spurs you on your way? Who is your Epaphras that you can be thankful for in leading you on in the Christian life? Paul reminds them of the power and might of God that works in them. Chapter one, verse 11. You are strengthened with all power according to his 
glorious might. You know, sometimes we have our eyes fixed upon the here and now. We get so distracted that we need to be reminded and thankful for the hope that we have for the future. But equally, sometimes we have our eyes so fixed on the future that we can't see the value in the here and now. We just want it to be over and done with. We want to skip over and and, and get to that goal that we're promised. But Paul says, actually, the here and now is, is just as valid. And God has not abandoned you to, to waiting for you to arrive at that hope. Actually, God strengthens you in the here and now. For those who've got their eyes fixed too far on the future and can't see the value here, Paul says, remember that God is strengthening you. God works in you. It's his power that works in you. Can't we be thankful that we're not left to struggle through these things alone, but that he is here alongside us, with us, in us, even? What qualified us? What made us deserve these gifts from God, this hope for the future, this power for the present? Why have we been saved in this way? Nothing because of who we are. It's all because God has saved us. Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. You have the promise of the kingdom Not because of anything in you, not because you're good, not because you're holy, not because you are able, not because you are strong willed, not because you are respectable and you make a good witness to those around you. Those are none of the reasons that God chose you. He has done the work that qualifies you. He has washed you from sin. He has brought you close. He has done the work of qualifying you. And the qualification doesn't rest upon you at all. Can't we be thankful for God's qualifying work in our hearts and lives? Verse 13, he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. Again, what a thing to be thankful for. Sometimes I consider the others in my own family, my brothers and sisters, who had the same start in life as me, who had the same education, who had the same leading, and yet who have turned from Christ and stumble through life as though in darkness. At every turn, a difficulty, it seems for them, flummoxing them, challenging them. It could have been me in that place, struggling through those same things. And yet God has rescued me from that darkness. He's rescued me from the influence of sin. I am free and able to say no to the temptations. Of course, I don't always get that right. I'm not always quick enough to think. And often I fall. But at least I'm free. And I thank God that he has freed me from the slavery to sin. He has freed me from the habits of life that constantly push me away from truth and wisdom and liberty and goodness and lead me towards darkness. He has rescued me from the dominion of darkness. Consider your neighbours, your family members, those on your street, those that you see on the news. What are they seeking and searching for? Where are they placing their hope? In the dominion of darkness. You have been rescued from such futility. Don't we have reason to be thankful? And then you get these verses, uh, verse 15 to 20. 
where where Paul just adds on detail after detail after detail about the greatness of Christ. It's as though Paul's saying, look, try and try and put Christ on the pedestal in your mind. And then he's telling you that pedestal is not high enough. He is greater than that. He is more than you think. He is higher than you can imagine. He is the image of the invisible God, the highest God that you can possibly conceive of. That is Jesus. And he has revealed him. It has revealed that God to us. And yet, despite his loftiness and his greatness and his goodness and his purity, despite all of his otherness, he is yet close. This is who Jesus is, our head. Uh, Nothing in creation exists without being sustained and upheld by this same lofty, high Jesus. Just consider who that Jesus was, is even. And then verse 22, he has reconciled you to God by Christ's physical body through death. The death of Jesus, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one with all authority, the one who is higher than you can imagine or esteem. His own death is the cost that it took to reconcile you to God, to make you holy in God's sight. What a cost was paid to make you a child of God. What a cost was paid to draw you close to your creator. You have the privilege of seeing this mystery. Verse 26, this is a mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations. Throughout all of history, people have pondered, searched, attempted to get close to God. And there's been hints of it and revelations of it and shadows of how it would happen and how it comes about. And yet so, so many fell short and went in the wrong direction. So, so many continue today to turn away from the the right way to God. But you, as a Christian, have been given this this knowledge. You have this mystery revealed to you. So don't be deceived by the uh, by by the the empty wisdom, the empty knowledge that are in the world. You have all the treasures and the wisdom of Jesus Christ at your disposal. All the fullness of Christ is ours and every other philosophy or design or ideology or purpose is but emptiness. You have fullness in Christ. The more you think about the different aspects of your salvation, the more you read through Colossians and see the way Paul is writing about what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be brought out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of Christ the more reasons you find to be thankful. And you can do that whether you go through the book of Colossians or whether you go through any other book in the New Testament or whether you just think about the way that you have been saved. You will find more and more reasons to be thankful. You can consider it start at creation and consider God's goodness revealed, his power, his vastness. As we look up at the stars at night and see how we know how wide and far they are and the God holds them all in his hands. Is the same God who knows your name, who knows the number of hairs on your head, who knows your destiny, 
What a reason to be thankful that this is the God we know and serve. What reason we have to be thankful to know that the God who created this wonderful world in which we live, with all the complexity and beauty and design, is the God who didn't give up on the creation when the creation turned its back on him. When Adam and Eve turned to go their own way, God didn't, he wasn't so aloof as to wipe his hands of what he's done and, uh, and turn them aside. He wasn't so lofty to ignore us. But he made a plan of redemption. He acted out of mercy. And that mercy, that, that love, those promises of reconciliation, of being brought back into friendship with him, those promises have stood for thousands of years. God's patience that you are now the beneficiary of. What reason we have to be thankful. What reason we have to be thankful when we consider Jesus Christ, who was on that throne, holding the stars, the universe in his hand, stepping down from the throne of heaven to join us here on earth. As beautiful as the creation is, yet Christ didn't exempt himself from the suffering that also is in this world. The suffering that was in no part due to his own fault. He had no responsibility for any of the wrong that was in the world. And yet he subjected himself to it. And he remained faithful to God throughout. He was born to into poverty. His, his place of birth was an animal's store, a shed. He, he lived in obscurity. He lived with uh, no place to lay his head, no two coins to rub together at times. He endured false accusation. He endured direct and vicious temptation from the devil himself. He endured rejection from his very own people in order to be obedient to God. What reason we have to be thankful for him and the work that he's done. What reason we have to be thankful when we consider his death. The shame that he suffered. The physical suffering of those last hours of his death. The the mockery and the humiliation that he faced as he hung dying and was insulted from all sides of society. What reason we have to be thankful when we consider that the wrath of God was poured out upon him. Don't allow these comments about your salvation to remain abstract. You will find it to be easier to be thankful for them when you realise that Christ died for your sin. When you realise that God's plan of mercy was for your sakes. Yes, you, even you with those sins, with that rejection, with that tendency to continue to turn away from him, even after you've been called his friend. You are the one that Christ died for. You are the one that he suffered for. You are the one for whose sins God punished Jesus Christ on the cross. If we allow these things to remain abstract and general, they will never move our hearts. But only once we see our personal responsibility for sin, our personal input into Christ's death, the cost that Christ paid on our behalf, 
will they ever move us to thankfulness and joyfulness and praise? You can consider your justification. How does God see you today if you're a believer in Christ? Does he see that the dirt and the filth and the shame of your life, perhaps those things that you confessed earlier in the service? No, you are you are justified. You are you have you have a right standing with him. In fact, you are more than justified. You are sanctified. You are made holy. All of the righteousness of Jesus Christ, all of his goodness, all of his obedience is yours. That's how God sees you today. If you are trusting Christ, what reason we have to be thankful? You are adopted into God's family. You're not left at arm's length at a distance. You are brought close. You are brought near. You are treated as a son. Yes, you are loved even as the son. The same love that the father has had for the son for all of eternity is yours as a son of God. And you are to be glorified. The more we consider our salvation, the more reasons we have to be thankful. Don't allow don't allow the phrase be thankful for your salvation just to stop there. Salvation is so much more than can be can be encompassed in that one word. There are so many different aspects and facets to it. There are so many more reasons to be thankful than just salvation trips off the tongue so easily gone in a moment. As quick as the thoughts that go with it. But as you are thankful for your salvation, develop in your mind what it means to be saved. What does it mean that God has saved me? What does it mean that I am his child? What does it mean that I am forgiven? How did that happen? What does that mean for the future? What does that mean for today? Don't I have reason to be thankful that God is merciful towards me, that God is gracious towards me, that God gives me these good gifts in Jesus Christ? You know, sometimes I wonder, uh, there are preachers like John MacArthur, um, uh, Matthew Henry, uh, perhaps John Piper, I, I don't really know, who've, who've preached on every verse of the Bible. Isn't that enough for us? A sermon on every verse of the Bible, why bother preaching anymore? <laughs> it's foolishness to think that way. Because there are so many reasons that we can thank God and praise him and worship him as we continue to unpack his word. Read the same words over. Read them again and let them touch your heart again and fill you with praise and thankfulness for what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. We ought to be overflowing with thankfulness. And it is strong faith that leads to this thankfulness. You know, that has been a challenge to me this week. Sometimes I can picture strong faith as being the faith with the most bricks in the wall, the most understanding, the most uh, uh, the strongest ability to explain the truths of what it is to be a Christian. And Paul's saying strong faith is faith that is overflowing with thankfulness. Are you one who has all the knowledge of Christian doctrine, what it means to be a believer, how to explain that the, the trickiest passages in the Bible. And yet he's unthankful, ungrateful. If that is you, we've, we've got a question, really, how strong is my faith? How strong is my faith? If my prayers, if my heart 
if my attitude toward God, if my singing is not overflowing with thankfulness. You see, strong faith, faith that sees clearly what God has done, faith that sees clearly who Jesus is, faith that recognises who I am. Strong faith can't help but be thankful once it pieces all those pieces of information together. We ought to be thankful for our salvation. But then I just want to touch on on some other aspects of thankfulness as well. We ought to be thankful for our salvation. But what about those other things that we are thankful for? You know, I mentioned at the beginning, often our thankfulness starts at the meal table. We're thankful for the food on our plates. We're thankful for the money in the bank. We're thankful for the family and the people that we love sitting around us. We're thankful for the peace and the freedom that we enjoy in this country and so on. How do we join this idea of being thankful for salvation? How do we join that up with the many other material blessings that we have to be thankful for? Well, primarily, I think keeping salvation at the forefront of our thankfulness helps us maintain the right motives. Um, thankfulness, you see, is is actually growing in in commonness, if you like, in the culture around us today. It's quite common to, to hear people talk about being blessed, uh, about being privileged. You ought to recognise your privileges that you have been born with and that you've grown up with. You ought to be grateful for the things that you have. And there are many around us in the world who are trying to be thankful in some ways. But actually, that thankfulness is slightly different than what the Bible's uh, calling us to in in thankfulness. You see, that type of thankfulness often has very little or even no reference to the giver. So people are talking about being blessed. People are talking about being thankful. But who are you to be thankful to? Um, Certainly, they don't expect you to be thankful to God for giving you these things. Uh, Just be thankful to society or to to fate for being born in a certain country or born with a certain colour of skin or born to certain parents. Be thankful to fate, if you like, but not thankful to God. And equally, the the blessedness that they recognise and the thankfulness that people are often talking about is you you could summarise it as simply recognising that in any situation that they find themselves in, they want to see that there is at least something good to recognise. Um, you know, however however poor you get, you might always have a nice neighbour. Um, however, um, however ill you find yourself, the sky might still be a vivid shade of blue. There's always something to be thankful for. And they want to try and encourage you to see the things that you can be grateful for. Now, that's not an entirely useless perspective. For example, if you're teaching your children, you want to teach them, you want to raise them to see that, look, the privileges that we enjoy in the, in the UK are not the pattern for a, a, a huge majority of people around the world. There are so many more people with far less than what we have. And in fact, there are far many more people in the UK with far less than what we enjoy. And so reminding yourself that, look, there's always something to be thankful for, that there's always there's always someone out there worse off. It's not an entirely useless perspective, but I don't think it's the motive that 
the scriptures give us in our thankfulness. Instead, I think the Bible's saying not just, oh, at least there's always one thing to be thankful for. I think the Bible's saying, look, whatever situation you're in, the gospel gives the reasons to be thankful. So even if you are that person who is at the bottom of the ladder in terms of how good is your life, you know, they've, they're, they're, their family is gone, their money is gone, their home is gone, their food is gone, everything's gone. And then the world's philosophy runs out because what else is there to be thankful for? But the scriptures, the scriptures ideas begin to shine stronger because there is always the gospel to be thankful for. And even in that worst of situations, a person can remain thankful. A person can be more thankful than even the most materially blessed person in the world. Because they have the greatest gift. In light of the fact that that God has called you, given you a purpose, made you his child, promised you a future. In light of those truths, those gospel truths, then every material blessing, every earthly circumstance can be received with thanksgiving. Every mealtime, for example, is is a sign to us that God has given you a purpose, that God is using you, has called you to glorify him and honour him. And this meal that you enjoy is sustenance for you to continue that work that God has given. This meal that you enjoy is colourful, tasty, delicious, pleasing. Because God is a God who designed colour and taste and pleasure and goodness because he is good. The meal is a reminder of gospel truth. It's not just a chance to say, God, I'm thankful because there are other people who've got less than me. The meal is a reminder to say, God has given you so much and he has given you a job to do here on earth. And this meal is a part of you continuing that job. And even this meal is an opportunity for you to thank him for that job to do. In a similar way, you know, summer afternoons out on the lawn with friends and family around you. They're an opportunity to picture the heavenly city, the true rest that you are on a pilgrimage towards. The friend or the mentor or the spouse who picks you up and encourages you when you when you're in your darkest moments is a reminder that just as God has not left us alone in human terms, he's not left us as individuals here on earth. He's put us in families, in groups to, to encourage us and draw us on. So also he's not left us alone in spiritual terms. He himself, by his spirit, dwells in our hearts is with us every moment of every day. And every morning you wake up, you wake up one day closer to the return of Jesus Christ, to your ultimate hope. You have one day more with which you can honour Christ and grow to be more like him. And you know, for those outside the faith, all these good gifts, the meal times, the, the times with friends, the, 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 the life that we enjoy each day. They're also 
signs of God's goodness to them. Signs of God's purpose on their life. They're, They're signs of God's patience with them. He doesn't destroy them in judgment because he is patient with people. They are calling cards. They are invitations to people to see the goodness of God witnessed in the world around us, witnessed in the everyday activities. And, you know, that these things are true for whatever situation we find ourselves in, not just for the things physical that we have to give thanks for, the good meals, the nice houses, the, the, the warm friendships that we enjoy. We can give God thanks for these gospel truths in whatever situation. There's a really good biography um, by Corrie Ten Boom called The Hiding Place. Corrie Ten Boom was arrested by the Nazis in World War Two because she was helping um, Jews escape from the Nazis. And she was put into Ravensbrück concentration camp, which was at the time known to be the, the concentration camp with the most squalid, the harshest conditions. And Corrie and her sister Betsy find themselves in this room absolutely packed full of other prisoners. Uh, They have a bed assigned to them, but the beds are, they're not beds at all. There's three wooden platforms stacked floor to ceiling, uh, and there's just about enough space to sit up in them. But if you sit up, you're you're always rubbing your head against the the one above. And these wooden platforms are covered with with straw or hay. But the hay, it's been there so long that it's absorbed the bodily fluids of all uh, all the prisoners. There's not enough room um, to to lie straight because there's so many people packed into these bunks. And between the bunks, there is only space for one person to walk single file. And so you can imagine the room packed full of hundreds of prisoners. And there are fleas biting them, causing them to itch, causing them to scratch, carrying disease. Uh, There's no space for people to go and use washroom there's no washrooms given there's no toilets given and so you can imagine the, the stench in this building that they find themselves and Corey says to her sister betsy how on earth are we going to cope how on earth are we going to cope and betsy says god gave us the answer this morning they'd been reading 1 thessalonians 5 give thanks in all circumstances she turns to her sister she says Corey, give thanks for something about this situation and Corrie looks around her. What on earth can I give thanks for, Betsy? This may as well be death. Such is the squalidness of the conditions that we're in. What can I give thanks for here? How much, how much worse? It could not get any worse. And Betsy says, you've got a Bible in your pocket, haven't you? That we managed to smuggle in by the grace of God. Let's give thanks for that Bible. And they gave thanks for the Bible. And and the witness that it would bring to the many in the room. Betsy goes on, give thanks for something else. Corey says, I I can't. Uh, Betsy says, I thank you, Lord, that the room is so cramped and that we're so tightly packed together. What? Thinks Corey. Uh, Betsy goes on praying, thank you, because we're so tightly packed together. When we read the Bible, when we pray, there will be even more people who can hear the good news of the gospel. Thank you, Lord. Betsy goes on to pray, thank you, Lord, for the fleas. (laughs) 
it, it's really you, you ought, if you've not read the book The Hiding Place, you ought to read it just for this passage alone. It's so it's so heartwarming. It's so funny. It's so gripping the way she the way she writes it. And you can imagine Corey's response. Betsy, you have got to be out of your mind. How can we give thanks for the fleas? Surely even God doesn't want the fleas to be here. Surely they are from Satan. How can the fleas be of any use to us? And Betsy goes on. Thank you, Lord, for the fleas. I don't know why they're here, but I give you thanks. It was a few weeks later that the the sisters began to question why they had so much freedom from the guards in this big group. The concentration camp was heavily guarded, heavily inspected, but the guards would never come into this room where they were. And it gave them freedom to open the Bible and speak to those around them. And many people were converted for Christ. And they eventually found out the reason the guards wouldn't come into the room was, you guessed it, because of the fleas. Thank you, Lord, for the fleas. Your gospel truth means that whatever situation I am in, I can give you thanks because I know there is a purpose for the situation I find myself in. And you are leading me through it. You have not abandoned me. You are here with me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. I praise you. We can thank God even when our sins overtake us. We can thank God even when our sins overtake us. We've been reading through Luke's gospel. Which person in Luke's gospel responded most strongly, most favorably towards Jesus? You could argue that it's the woman who in about chapter seven, I think it is, who comes to Jesus while he's reclining at a, at a dinner with a Pharisee. The woman comes and pours out a, an expensive jar of perfume on Jesus' feet, uh, weeps over Jesus and dries his feet with her hair. And the Pharisee thinks to himself, if this Jesus were any sort of prophet, he would know that this woman is a sinner, a woman of the night, you might say. If he was a prophet, he'd know who she really was. And Jesus turned to Simon the Pharisee and he says, look, Simon, the one who has been forgiven much loves much. Recognizing her own sinfulness led her to be all the more grateful, thankful, indebted to Jesus Christ and the forgiveness that he was offering. She gave all that she had. She gave all that she was to Jesus. Because she saw most clearly the depth of her own sin. When your sin overtakes you. When you realise it. When you're led to confession, perhaps worse despair or, or sorrow. In that moment, you have reason to be thankful. Because God has shown you your sin. And having seen your sin, you now have opportunity to repent. To turn back to Christ and to be forgiven. To love him more. For seeing more of the grace that he has shown to you. Now, I don't say that we give thanks for the sin. I don't say that we give thanks for the evil situation. You know, Elizabeth Elliot is, is good on this. Elizabeth Elliot was a missionary who uh, whose husband on their first mission trip was killed by the people that they were going to reach. Uh, later on in life, uh, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Elliot remarried. And her second husband was taken at an earlier age due to cancer. In Elizabeth's own words, she says, 
you know, I never I never thanked God for the murder and I never thanked God for the cancer. But I thanked him for the clarity that those two events gave, the clarity of the truth that God was always in control. And that the same hands that that formed the universe and sustained its being were the same hands that guided me through those times of most immense difficulty and strain. She didn't give thanks for the murder or for the cancer. But she says, unless she had gone through those difficulty, she would never have seen the goodness of God, the closeness of him, his wisdom, his gentleness. She would never have experienced his comfort that passes understanding. And so she can give thanks in all circumstances. She gave thanks in those situations, but not necessarily for the things themselves. I hope so far what I've done is is remind you of reasons that you have to be thankful. But I don't just want to stop there this evening. Before we close, I want to. I want to consider why am I preaching on thankfulness? Why am I talking about thankfulness? I don't just want to give you some reasons to be thankful so that we can end our service and, and you maybe say one or two prayers of thankfulness. What I want to do is show you the importance of thankfulness, the way it is so intimately tied to our faith itself. Um, there is a purpose to thankfulness. And so thankfulness is more than just a result of strong faith. Actually, thankfulness is commanded and instructed in order that our faith may grow. You don't see that so strongly from chapter two, verse six and seven. It's a bit ambiguous as to whether the the faith results in the thankfulness or we have to be thankful in order to strengthen faith. But it's clear that the two are tied together. However, later on in, in the letter, chapter three Verse 15, 16 and 17, in three verses, Paul tells you three times, be thankful. Colossians 3, verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of our Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Give thanks, give thanks, give thanks. Thankfulness might be the result of, it might be the natural result of eyes of faith open to see the wonders and the riches of our salvation. But thankfulness is also a helpful tool in our box that serves to strengthen faith. And just briefly, three ways that thankfulness serves to strengthen faith. First, it helps us to recognize the existence of God. You know, in today's secular world, one of the constant temptations that is fed to us just in the way that people speak, in the way that in the way that the world is talked about nowadays. One of the temptations is to forget even the existence of God. To forget that he made the world, to forget that he continues to rule over it, to forget that he sees and that he watches. When we are thankful, we've got to be thankful to someone. And we ought to be thankful to God as the giver of all good things. 
the atheist has a pretty tough day on those days where he feels grateful. Because who on earth is he grateful towards? When Christians choose to make thankfulness a, a part of their life, when they deliberately try and build it in, it helps us to protect against the sin of disbelief. It helps to protect against forgetting God. It's instructive that in Romans chapter one, as Paul describes the the degradation of society as it's turned away from God in sin. One of the first things he says happens is that they neither know God nor give thanks to him. Not giving thanks to God is, is the first step in turning away from God altogether. So make thankfulness deliberate because it helps you recognize the existence of God. Secondly, thankfulness helps us avoid unnecessary bitterness and grumbling. It helps eliminate that sense of entitlement that can so often damage our hearts. You know, there are many examples in scripture of of the way entitlement has led people into further sin. David felt entitled to take Bathsheba. Ahab felt entitled to take Naboth's vineyard. The Israelites felt entitled to a better deal than what God had given them in the wilderness. They felt entitled to an easier entry into the promised land. Make thankfulness a habit and you protect against entitlement. You protect against assuming that everything ought to be mine. You remind yourself, whatever I have, every moment of my day, every breath I take, is a gift from a merciful and gracious God. Uh, It's said that when Matthew Henry, who was a a commentator on the Bible uh, several hundred years ago, he was once robbed on his way home from preaching in London one evening. And at first, of course, he was scared and angry. And later, as he came to reflect on the situation in his diary, he said, he wrote this prayer. I thank you, Lord, first, because I was never robbed before. Second, because although they took my belongings, they did not take my life. Third, because although they took everything I had, it was not worth much. And fourth, because it was I who robbed. Uh, It was I who was robbed, not I who robbed. Matthew Henry deliberately chose to think, what about this situation can I do to be thankful? In what ways can I be thankful? And it made him realize his his life was not his own. His money was a gift. And even his, his status as a as a righteous uh, and a God fearing man was not something in himself. It was a gift of God as well. Thankfulness protects against entitlement. And finally, thankfulness transforms our response to difficulty. Thankfulness helps us see that God has a purpose in difficulty. When you get that that difficult moment that seems to shake the ground from beneath your feet, if you stop there and then and seek to give thanks, give thanks even just that, that God is with you, that God is still God, that God knows what has happened, that he knows the outcome, that his wisdom is available to lead you through. Give thanks And you will realize that even the most severe difficulty that you're about to face is not outside of the purpose and the plan of God. For the most severe oppression, 
Thank you, God, that the world recognises me as one of your own. For the most frustrating times in, in family life, or thank you that I'm reminded once again that my life is not hid here on earth, but it is hid with Christ in the heavenly places. In all these ways and more, thankfulness, when we are deliberately thankful, it serves to strengthen our faith. And in the reverse order, a strong faith is a faith that always looks for what we can be thankful for and praises God for it. I hope I've achieved something of my purpose, perhaps for at least some of you, given us reasons to be thankful and shown us the importance of being deliberately thankful in our lives.